do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Continuing our way toward the end of John's first epistle, so let me give you a couple of things. There are a couple of more weeks left in this study, and I will not be here for either one of them because we're going to take a couple of weeks of extended time to just get a break over the next couple of weeks, so we will not be here. We'll be out of touch. Uh, Pastor Marcus will be around. Uh, in a couple of weeks, Pastor Tito Tirado is going to come and preach. He hadn't preached here in a long time. I said, well, plan on it being way different than it was when you were here. And uh, so uh, I'm excited for him, and I know he's excited to come and be here. And uh, But life will go on as normal. It's uh, The advantage of the way we do ministry at Coastal is if one person's gone for a couple of weeks, life moves on. So hopefully you won't even really notice I'm gone. But at any rate, uh, we will uh, finish First John while I'm gone. And then when we get back into the... Uh, kind of transversing uh, August and on into September, we're going to do a study from the book of Jonah, four weeks, and uh, that's always a really exciting thing, and I think it's going to be really challenging. Uh, the resistant prophet, and uh, that's going to be uh, a very useful time. But at any rate, uh, Pastor Marcus today, now last week I told you he was up in Gloucester, that was a, a connection made through Pastor Andrew Oates of our uh, of our Yorktown campus, and today he is in Norfolk preaching at a church for a friend of his who's a pastor there, and he is the only pastor there, and he never gets a break, and uh, so Pastor Marcus is filling in for him today, so uh, I'm really grateful. It just reminds me of how grateful I am at Coastal that there's not only one person preaching. There are, God has gifted us with numerous people who can open the scriptures and uh, so I'm really glad for that. So you pray for him while he is away today. He will be back here next Sunday. So uh, I'm looking forward to having him here for you. We have talked about the idea of love. It's really interesting to me that John keeps coming around to this. Now, I think it was Pastor Marcus who pointed out to us early on in this study that John, whose brother was James, were in the New Testament called the sons of what? thunder. These guys were the ones that, man, if these people aren't going to be on our side, can we pray down fire on them? Let's, let's just wipe them all out. It's really interesting to see as John has moved now toward the end of his life that he has become known as the apostle of love. That's really highlighted in this letter, right? He's talking to us all the time about the importance of loving each other. And he begins this next section. We're going to start in verse 7 and finish chapter 4 today. So buckle up because we got a lot to, to cover. But he begins with, beloved, let us love one another. We've talked about that over and over again, right? For love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I'm going to stop right there because we're going to come back around to a, to a bunch of these verses. But that's a really important starting point. 
because we have to love each other. It is really important. Now, I know Tina Turner years ago wondered what in the world love has to do with anything, right? It's just secondhand emotion. It's for all about broken hearts and all that stuff. I know, you know, the song was about something particular in her life, but uh, we get it a little bit too generally applied, right? Love, love has everything to do with it. And we're going to talk about that today because to a certain degree, when we love each other, it's how people get to see God. That's really significant, and it's a, a significant part of this text. The love that's spoken of here is a love that cares more for others than it does for myself. It seeks the highest good in the person I choose to love. It's not theoretical, it's practical, and it's always obvious to those who are around us. Can I just say, I love the sound of babies. So I hope that doesn't disturb you. Every once in a while, they're the only one responding back to the preaching. So bring them on, right? Uh, but I'm grateful for our children's ministry workers, and we need people in the nursery too. So at any rate, first, if you're following along in your notes, I want to tell you this passage reminds us that love is visible. Love, love is visible. It is obvious. Love is not just something that we kind of hold inside. Oh, yes, I love. I love everybody. No, you don't love everybody. Neither do I, as much as we don't want to admit it. And there are a few people that we love that we don't really like, right? But we know we're supposed to love them. So what does that mean? Love is visible. There are three really, I think, really significant things in these first few verses, the first six verses, that help us understand just what it means when I say I love someone or when we say we love our community and we want to actively love our community, the first of them is this, incarnation. Love gives. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. That's the incarnation. That's Jesus taking on humanity, the second person of the Godhead, God the Son coming, taking on humanity. God, not human philanthropy or pity or emotion, is the source of love. Love comes from God. It's not primarily emotional. It's purposeful, right? Love is more devotion than emotion. Ask a couple that's been married for 25 years. There are some seasons when love is more de devotion than emotion. I know when you're first married, it's it, it's, I will never struggle to love this person. Listen, she will struggle to love you. There will come times. And you might even find there will be occasions when you struggle to love her. But love is something that maintains my devotion. Surely it's emotional, but it is more devotion. It is secondly, it is more action than it is reaction. We love when someone else has done something loving, we respond. But love is action-oriented. And it can be as simple as buying a bunch of supplies to put in a backpack and care for a kid that you may never meet. 
It is an activity. It's what we do to care for other people. And for God, the love of God was made plain when he sent his only son. This is how it was made plain to us, was manifested. He sent his only son. That's the incarnation. That's Jesus coming here with the express purpose that we might live through him. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus became what first became through him. Jesus made everything that there was. Jesus, God the Son, was directly involved in creation. Everything made through him, John chapter 1 said, including humanity. And then Jesus became one of us. It's an incredible thing that God would do that, that God would come here, would become us. He existed before he was sent into the world. In the beginning, when there were beginnings, Jesus was. The word already was. We're going to come back to the importance of knowing and confessing the truth about Jesus. We talked about it last week. It's here again this week. It's so desperately important. He is the unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God. We're going to come to John chapter 3 in just a little while. Probably the most familiar verse in all of the scripture, or certainly one of them. Jesus, the Son of God, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one-of-a-kind Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus was the manifestation of God's love. Have I talked about... Uh, the uh, ant illustration here, when you preach at several campuses, you don't always remember what you talked about. So I think it was J. Vernon McGee, a preacher from a former generation, used to talk about ants. He said, God coming here would be like you communicating to the ants that are probably still trying to get in your yard, right? It's hot. They're, they're wanting to come in the house. It's cool in there. There's, you know, probably a little bit of food laying around. I know, not much. But it's that they want in. I would do almost anything to communicate to them. Listen, eat the grass. I don't care. I don't like mowing it anyway. Take care of it. Have the yard. It's all yours. But I would never become an ant to communicate to ants. God became man to communicate his love to us. Unbelievable. Am I right? It's incredible. God's Love is something that gives. It's the incarnation. Secondly, is that theological term we talked about a little while back, propitiation. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. I think it was June uh, 4th, or early in June anyway, from chapter 2 and verse 2. So if you want to get the little fuller explanation about propitiation, go find that on the on the website, right? Go coastal.org, find the Hampton campus, go to the sermons. You can, you can look up that sermon. It, it's a little more detailed, but propitiation is reflective of a term from the Old Testament that reminded us of the day of atonement, the day when they would kill one... Uh, 
one creature and take another one, one goat and another goat, and they would send the second one off into the wilderness to carry off our sins, and the first one they would kill, and it would cover over our sins. That's no longer necessary because Jesus carried our sins to the cross and then shed his blood and died paying the penalty for the sins of all who would believe in him. That's propitiation in a nutshell. God maintains a holy hatred of sin. We want desperately to have a God who is all about being loving. He's love, he's kind, he's merciful, he's gracious. And all of the the things that seem really positive to us. But we cannot leave out that God is holy. And we cannot leave out the wrath of God against sin. And propitiation is the reason we don't have to leave it out to survive. Because propitiation has to do with satisfying God's wrath. He didn't ask you to satisfy his wrath against you. He sent Jesus so it is, as we, we call it around coastal, it's self-satisfaction, God satisfying himself through self-substitution. He put himself in your place so that he could satisfy his own wrath against your sin. That's amazing. I don't step in to do that for other people. But that's what love does. Love satisfies. Herein is love, not that we loved God. I mean... Saying that we love God and that's how we define love would be like saying, I gave $10 to Elon Musk and he's grateful. That's gratitude. That's ridiculous. Now, if he gave me a billion of his many billions, I would understand gratitude. I promise you. I really would. If he's listening, I'm in. Let's prove that point, right? I would tithe, I promise. It isn't that we love God only makes sense right? It isn't, it isn't something that like, oh man, here's how you know love, because I love God. No, it's the other way around. It is that he loved us. Typically, religion is man seeking after God. Look at every religion in the world. We're doing what we can. We're trying to catch up. We're trying to do enough. We're trying to get to God. Christianity is God seeking fallen mankind. The wonderful truth is not our love for God, but his love for us. He has sought us through our sin and our self, our rebellion and our pride. The glorious truth of Christianity is that God loves fallen mankind and has initiated and maintained a life-changing contact in the person of Jesus. Amen? It's an incredible thing. That's love. Of course I should love God. After all that he has done to make it possible for me to avert his wrath and not only that, but enjoy his pleasure and his presence for eternity, I should certainly love God. That only makes sense. But love is demonstrated that God satisfied his own wrath, propitiated his wrath toward us through his own son. So there's incarnation, there's propitiation. Thirdly, there is reflection. Now, this is our part. This is that love demonstrates. <laughs> if God, beloved, if God so loved us to this magnitude, if God loved us that much that despite our sin, he sent Jesus, that he's the one that sought after us, not us seeking after him. If God loved us that much, 
we ought also to love one another. There's a sense of moral obligation in there. I ought to love others because God has loved me. When we love, though, verse 12, I love verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. One of the ways people get to see God is how we treat other people, especially our brothers and sisters in the faith. When we love, we demonstrate God to others. You remember the Old Testament, even Moses. There was nobody like Moses, John the Baptist said, right? Nobody until Jesus came. He wanted to see God, and God said, no, cannot do that. You will die. You cannot see my face and live. But when we love as God did, the world gets to see what God is like. When we make visible the love of God for other people, when we care enough for other people that we're willing to forgive and all those things that are involved in, in uh, love as an incarnation and love and the satisfaction and propitiation, all of those things, we get to be a reflection. It brings the work of God for us to completion in us. It's an incredible thing. So, love is visible. Secondly, verses 13 to 16, love is theological. All three members of the Trinity, all three persons of the Trinity are spoken of here. Don't worry, I'm not going to try and explain the Trinity. I don't understand it. You probably wouldn't either. So it's okay. We accept it because it's true. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons, only one God. The Spirit is mentioned here. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. Now, I have this backwards in your notes, so I'm going to do it the way I did it in the notes. I'm not sure exactly why I did it backwards. But at any rate, we're going to read down through all these verses first, 13 to 17, or through 16. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him, and he in God. So we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So I started with the Father in your notes. Verse 16. He is love. Verse 8 said that too, right? He who who does not love doesn't know God because God is love. That means God is not just loving. He doesn't just do loving things. God is love. He defines love. So if we want to understand what love is, we look at God. Where do we look at God mostly to see that? Well, we see it in his actions. Because God not only is love, he is fundamentally and essentially love, he also loves. He also does the action of loving. So now we can go to John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that's a word of magnitude, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
God loved the world so much, so dramatically, so thoroughly, that he sent God the Son, his one-of-a-kind, unique Son, so that whoever believes in him, we sang it earlier, might not perish but have eternal life. I, I don't know how much more simply to put that. What does it mean to believe in him? Well, we, it's in the verse, right? God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son. Jesus came to this earth, God the son, lived the perfect life we could never live, died on the cross, paid for the sins of all who would believe in him. All who believe will be saved, will have eternal life was buried, literally came back to life again. He walked around on the planet and people saw him for a couple of months. And then he left and went back to heaven. And now what we do is repent of our sin, which we all know we have. We believe in the gospel that Jesus, God, the son, his deity, that's earlier in the book, right? We confess Jesus. We saw that passage in here. We believe the gospel and we receive Christ. That's what has to happen. That's, how, that's what it means to believe into Jesus, into the Son. Desperately important to happen. So that's the Father. He is love, and he loves the Son, verses 14 and 15. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God, abides in him, and he in God. This is a really important statement. He was sent to be the Savior, which means, as is said in Acts chapter 4, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There are not multiple ways to get to heaven. There is one way, and it is only through Jesus Christ. Right? Amen? And we're on the same page? It is, it is vitally important that we not give in to the cultural pressure of saying, well, that's your truth. No, it is the truth because it is about Jesus. And he himself said, I am the truth. We cannot allow people, we're not loving people if we let them think something different, right? If your doctor said to you, you have this, that, or the other disease, and the only way I can fix it is to do this. And you go to another doctor, and they say, no, that's exactly what you need to do to fix it. And a third doctor, that's exactly what you need to do to fix it. Would it be loving for the fourth doctor to say, well, yeah, that's a good idea, but let's try this? No, not even a little bit. It is not loving to leave people in their confusion. It is loving to tell people the truth. There is one way to heaven. No other name. It is Jesus, the Son, who was sent to be the Savior of the world. And he is the Son of God. He claimed it. And if, if we think anything differently about Jesus, we're not believing what Jesus himself claimed. So in uh, John chapter 10, Jesus was having a conversation with the Pharisees. And uh, so this is... What, what, how it kind of went down at the beginning of it. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, this is the religious leaders, 
How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, now that's a, a word filled with meaning from the Old Testament, the anointed one of God. If you are him, tell us plainly. Jesus said, I told you, and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not of my father, you are, you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Do you say of him, this is toward the end of this passage, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. Those two phrases have to be going together. I and the Father are one, and I am the Son of God. The Son of God is a phrase specifically intended to identify the deity of Jesus Christ. He was not just a person. When we ask people, what do you think of Jesus? One of, our, one of our pastors was on the trip that Coastal took to the Czech Republic, and they went to a, a school that was a nominally Christian school, and one of the kids came up to, uh, to talk to them and said, I don't really believe in Jesus, but I'm okay with him. Well, gee, that's nice. I'm glad you're okay with him, right? I was watching a show on the Food Network early this morning after my devotions. It, it was just one after another, and it was one of the personalities that invites people to their home, and they just have this whole nice time. It's really kind of fun to watch. And they get to the end, and she says, okay, I want to give you a pop quiz. And so she goes through all these questions. What's your favorite movie? Blah, 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 blah. And the last question she asked, so I've watched two or three episodes now, is, if there's a heaven, what would you like God to say to you when you get there? The first one I heard this morning was, I hope you'll say, you did okay. I thought, oh my word, if that's not a cultural indicator, I hope you did okay. Listen, that will not be sufficient. The next one, we only watched two episodes this morning, was, I hope he'll say you were a good father and a good dad. I hope you will say that too. But what do we want to hear? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear from God. Not because I earned my way into heaven, but because I'm standing there clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he sees me as perfectly righteous on his ledger book. That's what makes me right before God. I do not want to hear you did okay. Because first of all, I know better. I did horribly. Even after I trusted Jesus, it wasn't all that great. I know that. God knows that. But I'm standing there clothed in the righteousness of Christ because he was sent to be the savior of the world. 
He is the Son of God. That's one of the tests John keeps bringing up. Your confession of who Jesus is, your love for other people, and your obedience to what Jesus says. And then he has the Spirit. I'm backing up now to verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. Romans chapter 8 talks about how the Spirit bears witness. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back again into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Those of you who are familiar with adoption, we have a, an adopted niece, two of them actually. They are fully a part of the family. There is no distinction between them and any biological child that my uh, in-laws could have had. They have been adopted into their family, made a part of the family. Let's finish that up. What's verse 16? Sorry, I, got a, I, I ran off before they got a chance to leave it up there. Romans 8, uh, there you go, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It is not because it feels good. It is not because, yeah, I think it's fine. It's not because, yeah, I think I'm in a good place. It is because the Spirit of God is bearing witness within us. God has given us that. Love is theological. It involves all members of the Trinity, all three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lastly, love is complete. These last few verses, beginning in verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever, has, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So I'm going to hit those first couple of verses. Because this is love being made complete. And the first piece has to do with confidence. We may be rejected and persecuted as Jesus was. But we also are loved and sustained by the Father and the Holy Spirit as Jesus was. We are like him in this world. We have confidence. One day, all humans will give an account to God. We don't have any reason to be afraid of that. We're confident in Christ because God has loved us. Judgment day holds no concern. Yeah, yeah. amen is right. We also have courage. We live without fear. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now listen, this is not meaning if you struggle with some fear, you're not a Christian. It just means it has not come to fruition in your life yet because love means no fear. Here's why. I read this this week. It, it's better than I could have worded it, so let me just read it to you. My lack of fear is possible because the love I received was discovered at the moment of my deepest need and vulnerability. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Therefore, once I know I'm loved, when I'm empty-handed, this sets me free from any doubt about my future acceptability. In other words, God already knows you at your worst. You have nothing to fear. You can live courageously because you are righteous in Christ. Because God is not viewing you 
through the lens of your sin. He's viewing you through the lens of the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And that gives us the opportunity to be committed, to show commitment to other people. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. We are capable of love because God loved us. Love is from God, it said earlier in the text, right? We can love because God loved us. And we ought to love because God loved us. And with this confident assurance of God's love, our commitment can be real to those who are around us. We live in the real world and we love real people in real places where we live in the real world. Love has nothing to do with escapism. Christianity has nothing to do with avoiding the world. Christians run toward the mess and love real people in the real messes of their lives because that's what God did for us. If God loved us that much, we ought also to love one another. So your thoughts to take home. What are you going to do with Jesus? Maybe you're here and you haven't settled that yet. Man, we would be delighted to talk to you about it. It would just make our day, and it'll change your destiny. If you will come to us and say, I'm not even sure what that means, we would love to talk with you about that. There are going to be people up here under these uh, monitors, just like always. If that's something that's on your mind, come, come chat with them for a couple of minutes. They would love to talk to you about it. What are you afraid of? What are the things that are making you afraid? I want you to think about beginning to look at them in light of what God sees. You have no future punishment to fear. You have confidence as you face eternity. You have courage to face every day because God's love for you hasn't changed. And even when you mess up, he's already seen you at your worst. He loves you. And then lastly, who are you going to love today? And how? Because love is visible. Love is what we do to other people. Love is how we show other people who God is. Who are you going to love today? It's one of the simplest rules. And... The, uh, a while back, we saw back in chapter two, it said it's a, it's a new commandment, right? But it's not really a new commandment. It's an old commandment because it's always been the way it's supposed to be. But it's new now that Jesus is here. We see it more fully. Love one another. It is, it is that important. What is it? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Pastor, I'm not sure that I know how to explain the questions that are going to come up. That's okay. Do you know how to love people? Do you know somebody who can help you explain it? Do you love them enough to bring them to somebody who will explain it? Bring them to church. You know they're going to hear the gospel here every week. 
Get them engaged in our women's ministries, one of our brunches or our men's breakfast. I'm telling you, people come to things like that even if they wouldn't ever be interested in coming to church. So bring them with you. They won't mind. And you know what? It might change their life. Do we love them? Who are you going to love today? How are you going to love them? How will it be visible? All right, so I'm going to pray, and then just before the team comes to sing, I got something I got to let you know about, and then we're going to sing, and then I'm going to come back up for the benediction, and then we're going to be dismissed, okay? So let me pray, and while the team comes up here, I'm going to, after they do, I'm going to make an announcement. Father, I'm so grateful today for your incredible love for us. Lord, we, uh, when we take time to think about it and just mull it over in our minds, we're we really stand in awe. We're astonished. So thank you for loving us so much. I pray, Father, that you would uh, give us the courage and confidence to love other people the way you loved us. Uh, and that's really hard. We confess. We, we get it. But it's not hard compared to what you did. So if you so loved us, help us to love each other. And Lord, I pray for the one or more that might be here that doesn't know Jesus yet, that has never come into a right relationship to you through Christ. Uh, Lord, uh, give them the courage, uh, work in their heart in such a way that they'll want to come and talk to somebody about it. We would love to take care of that. So thank you so much. Thank you for making it about love. We're grateful for who you are and what you've done for us through Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.